Last week, uh, we briefly introduced the season of Advent, and then we addressed the topic of waiting, of uh, reflecting on the biblical call to patiently wait for the Lord's coming, both in our present circumstances and then, of course, for His future return. But our waiting, it's not a passive waiting. It is an active waiting, and that as we wait, we are attentively watching for God's promises, God's deliverance, God's inbreaking, both here in the present and, of course, also for His future return. And so watching and waiting, waiting and watching, they're, they're interconnected biblical ideas. But what are we watching and waiting for? Well, in verse 12 of today's text from 2 Peter 3, calls it the day of God, or simply that day. And that's our title this morning, that we are watching for what? For the day. So through this Advent text, and this was actually uh, one of the Advent readings for this Sunday. We didn't read it earlier, but we're using it as our text for the day. I want to talk about this theme of watching for what the Bible calls that day. So first I'll explain, well, what is that day? And then we'll talk about how that day is delayed, how that day impacts every day, and then how that day is now dawning. So let's begin with, well, what is that day that we're talking about? Verses, verse 10, as well as first half of verse 12 says, but the day of the Lord's will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Verse 12, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. So my point this morning isn't to try to you know, unpack what this uh, literally might mean in terms of actual events. We have to remember uh, and be humble here that the, the biblical writers are trying to describe the indescribable, right? That these are mysteries beyond our comprehension. And it's you know, human arrogance to think we know exactly how this is going to unfold. So will the heavens be you know, literally disappear with a literal roar? Will the elements literally melt in the heat? Maybe. But the more important teaching is the principle that what we see around us will not last in its present form. It will be renewed and purified. And in fact, the main symbolic meaning of fire in the Bible usually is that, one of purification. So it's sometimes a positive symbol in a way. And we could spend all morning trying to, you know, decipher exactly what these events will look like and what exactly will lead up to them. But my question would be, how will that change the way we live? What matters is the very clear message that a day is coming when God is going to do something final, something eternal, and we are to be ready for that day, whatever it looks like. So let's just keep it simple. That day refers to the return of Jesus. And all you know, other speculation about events is really secondary. So let's focus on what is most clear here in 2 Peter 3 about that day. Namely, that day is delayed. That day impacts every day. 
And that day is dawning. So first, that day is delayed. Verse 8 and 9, it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. As we talked about last week, you know, it's hard for those of us on on this side of heaven to wait for the Lord's return. And we might even be tempted to to lose hope. We might even think, well, it's been 2,000 years and we're still waiting. But what is 2,000 years to the Lord? Who is able to see time in the context of eternity, which is impossible for us to do? Jesus' delay in returning is, you know, not because he's slow to keep his promise. It's not because, you know, Jesus has ADHD and is getting distracted by other things. He's not like, look at those rings on Saturn. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to be planning my return. It's not because he's forgetful. It's not because he doesn't want to return. It is because he's patient and wants no one to perish, but all to come to repentance, meaning right relationship with him. Meaning if you're here today and don't know Jesus as your Savior, out of his love for you, he is waiting. That's why I'm so glad that I'm not God, because I would not be as loving and patient (laughs) as he is, right? I'd be like, right now, Lord, forget all the rest. But God's not like that. But then for those of us who do know Jesus and have entered into God's forever family, does that mean we just wait around in the meantime? Like, come on, God, quit being so nice, quit being so patient, giving everyone a chance. I'm kind of bored here, Lord. What else is there to do? Do we just say, well, I'm saved. Glad I got that done. You know, glad that's over with. Big check off the list. I guess now I'll just take it easy. I'll wait. I'll enjoy life. Make an appearance at church here and there. Make sure I'm still saved. I'll keep going to Bible studies. But not much else left for me to do, really. Now, that day is delayed because, as we'll hear next week, God has work for you to do. The day being delayed is not so that we can all get together and form a nice Christian waiting club, taking it easy. I mean, if that's the case, let's just all go up on Little Mountain and build a nice residence and just hang out. But that's not an option. Because first of all, the word ecclesia, which is translated church in the New Testament, literally means the exact opposite of that. It means to be called out from the work you've been doing into a gathering together. That's supposed to be temporary before you then get sent back out into the world to do what you're called to do. It's not a word of hiding. Second, that day does not just impact our day of gathering. That day, second point, impacts every day of our lives. Verses 11 and 12, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. 
So this question from our text in verse 11, what kind of people ought you to be in light of the Lord's eventual coming is, is a question, you know, big enough and important enough that it requires this very huge, complex book. <laughs> but it's kind of just nicely, neatly summarized for us here. Be holy and godly. Meaning in light of the reality of what's coming, live for Jesus and nothing else. Live every day in light of that day. And by doing so, we might actually speed the coming of that day, it says, by the way we live our lives. You can speed the Lord's return. We watch for the Lord's return so that we might be ready when it comes. So, Paul, come up here. I want to demonstrate this a little bit, how this works. All right, up here for all to see. So, what happens when we're just paying attention only to ourselves? We're all about ourselves. We're focused on ourselves. You know, we're just kind of inside our own world. What can happen? <laughs> a little dramatic, a little dramatic. See, if you're not waiting and you're not watching, you're going to get surprised, right? You're going to get smacked in the face. But what happens when we're eager, when we're ready, when we're watching, when we're waiting? We receive. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. We're ready to receive what's coming. We're prepared. Friends, can I challenge us a little bit this morning, myself included? The season of Advent is meant to be a yearly wake-up call where we remember that so few were ready and watching for Jesus' first coming because they were so preoccupied with their own lives their own dreams, their own pursuits, their own kingdoms, their own religious agendas and issues that they thought were important. I mean, only a few were actually watching and waiting. In fact, we can pretty much count them on one hand. Simeon, Anna, Mary, Elizabeth, a couple of shepherds, and some magi. That's about it. The rest of the world barely noticed. They just went on with their business. And Jesus warns us that it could be the same at his second coming as well. Listen to his words in Luke 17, 26 to 33. You might want to write it down or turn there. Luke 17, 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, it will be just like this. On the day the Son of Man is revealed. 
on that day, no one with possessions should go get them. The implication is that will actually be a temptation to do so. Things we've become attached to. It says, remember Lot's wife. She looked back. She hesitated. She was tied to her earthly life. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. Well, that's heavy teaching. It's kind of coming in today. I was like, it's Kids Sunday. We're going to hear a cute song from the kids. I was like, I want to talk about cute babies and angels singing, Lord. But this is what Jesus says. But here's what our attitude should be. And you've maybe heard me say this before. And here's why I'm saying this. Is to say, Lord, shock me now. Don't shock me later. Shock me now. Don't shock me later. I'd rather be shocked now at the realization that I am unprepared for Christ's return, that I'm living complacently or selfishly or spending my time and money more on my own pursuits and dreams than God's kingdom. I'd rather be shocked now than later when He actually returns and I'm found unprepared, perhaps filled with sorrow at the way I've lived my life. So can I shock us now so that we won't be shocked later? So that we're not surprised when the soccer ball comes flying at our face? Because Jesus talks about being ready so much. In fact, two of the, two of the things Jesus talks about the most, being ready and material possessions and money. And the things go hand in hand, of course. They're connected. When Second Peter here teaches us, what it teaches is that everything that is not a part of God's eternal kingdom and His new heavens and His new earth, everything else will be destroyed. It will be no more. And that includes all the things we've accumulated, our homes, our bank accounts, and also immaterial things like power, status, recognition, accomplishments, social media influence, whatever it is. When we live our lives in light of Jesus coming, it will cause us to hold on to all these things loosely. And it may even cause us to let go completely. So here's a, a, a spiritual exercise you can do, and it's, and it's pretty telling if you can be honest with yourself and before God. And uh, I, I love to do this, and I hate to do this uh, my, myself and my personal devotion, but uh, God knows our thoughts anyway. So we might as well just be completely honest with them. If Jesus returned today, or you knew he was coming very soon, what would be difficult for you to let go of, to leave behind, or to give up? And this question can reveal some of the things that we're just holding on to perhaps a bit too tightly. So let's do this exercise together, for we're here not just to hear the word. We're here to respond, right, to act on it and interact with a very real person, Jesus, who is here in our midst through His Spirit. Right? We're here to be changed. As we said, the season of Advent, it's not about God loving us more. That's not why we observe it. It's about us loving God more. So let's close our eyes, if you can. This is a safe place where the gentle and loving conviction of the Holy Spirit is welcome, right? God wants what is best for us. There's nothing better than following His ways and His will 
and being in it. But if Jesus returned today, where you knew he was coming very soon, what would be difficult for you to let go of, to leave behind, to give up? And would you just say in your heart, Lord, is there anything in my life that I'm holding on to too tightly, that is dulling my spirit to the reality of your return? I never pretend to be the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to present material and questions to get the spirit conversation going with you. But what might it be for you? Is it a house? Is it a piece of property? Is it a renovation? Is it a possession or collection? Is it the thought of finally getting to retirement? A degree or title or promotion you're trying to achieve? Is it marrying? Is it having a family? Is it having grandkids? A flush bank account? Is it traveling? Taking the dream vacation? Are there things in your life you desire more than the Lord's return? that you might be disappointed to leave behind or leave unfinished? In other words, are there things we're working hard towards to speed their coming more than we're working hard to speed the Lord's coming, as our text tells us? And Jesus sometimes asks us to let go to hold loosely so that we might be ready. In fact, he says in Luke 12, sell your possessions, give to the poor, store up your treasure in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door. See how there's no hesitation. It's the opposite of the person who goes back into the house or to Lot's wife. He says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. So let's just pray right now. We're about done, but ask the Lord in case he wants to speak. Just begin to say, Lord, I want to live every day in light of that day. So Lord, what are you calling me to do in light of what will remain in eternity? What do you want me to give up? What do you want me to add to my life that would help serve you better? Who's on your heart, Lord? Where are you calling me to be a light in darkness? Where can I bring healing and hope to those who are hurting and lost? Lord, where can we add eternal value to our lives? Help us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us. You may want to spend some more time praying at the end of the service in our Soak Sunday today, but as you heed and obey the voice of the Lord, you will, as it says in our text, more and more look forward to the day 
of his coming and perhaps even speed it. And so real quick and lastly, as we get ready to hear from our kids, that day is dawning. Verse 13 and 14, keep, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. See, while we watch for the day like watchmen watch for the morning, we wait in anticipation, realizing that that day where righteousness dwells is already dawning. The dawn is near. Morning will come, and even if we can only see it in a distance, it's already arriving. It's not a matter of if the morning will come, but when it will come. And this is what theologians refer to as the already not yet tension, right? The kingdom is already here among us, but it is not yet here in its fullness. But we can see the evidence that it will if we are looking forward to the day the dawn will awaken, the star of the morning will shine, and Christ's shining light will burst forth. And so as a way to close, let's allow our kids, who are signs of the kingdom, to come to teach us these truths and encourage us that the day of Christ has come, is coming, and it will come again. So kids, we are ready for you to come and encourage us.